Welcome to the Expansive CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, founder of Expansive CEO and X Squared Wealth Planning. Buckle in as we explore how to create true prosperity and build a business and a life that expands beyond yourself and makes a dent in the universe. Welcome everyone to the Expansive CEO Podcast. And we have an announcement that I'll get to after I tell you that it's Investment Friday. Once again, we are recording this on Thursday, July 27th at 4.38 p.m. Um, just so you know what the benchmark is for what the markets are doing right now. But this will come out on Friday, July 28th. So the announcement, Brad, Brad Haynes, CFA, uh, CFA and FRM and Chief Investment Officer at Juncture Wealth Strategies. Uh, we are going to be doing investment Fridays every Friday. So that means if you have any questions, any wonderings um, that come up during the week, any crazy things uh, happen in the stock markets that you want to get our take on between me and Brad, you will get to have that answer almost immediately, like every Friday. So Brad, how's it going, man? It's going great. How are you? I'm good. I'm West good. Coast is doing well. East Coast seems to be doing well. Got slammed with rain like five minutes ago and now it's done. So <laughs> it's normal. Yeah, there you go. That's an East Coast winter or a summer right there. Yeah. Super humid, a little bit warm, a lot, lot of warmth all across the country. I mean, yeah. I was just in Scottsdale, Arizona yesterday and it was brutal. Was it still... 116. Yeah. Okay. I was there last week and it was 115 average up to 118 in Phoenix. It was terrible. And anyone who says, but it's a dry heat said, so is your oven. Why don't you go sit in that for a while and see how that feels? <laughs> and it's it's worse because um, as you know, one of my business partners lives in downtown Phoenix in one of the high rises, which is really beautiful because it overlooks the lights. It overlooks the city. It's gorgeous. However, on this night, we went out and it was probably 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So the obviously the sun was down, but the heat was still reverberating. And he said, you got to come out here. We, st we stood out there for two minutes and the wind was so hot. It was mm -hmm. cooking us. It was like a convection oven. And so, again, two minutes was all we could really before we tapped out and said, that's, that's it. We got to go back inside to the AC. So... That was literally my experience. We went and saw when I was there the other week, we went and saw the little mermaid in um in one of the movie theaters. Coming out of the movie theater, it was the same, it was like chant right, like a channel almost between the buildings. And so there was wind coming up off the hot pavement. And I said that I was like, it feels like a convection oven with hot wind coming off of 140, 145 degree pavement. Right. So yeah. It's something that I think Maricopa County, um, Arizona, but Phoenix specifically, Scottsdale, the, the metro there, area there, they're going to have to come up with a solution because they're literally, they're creating that heat, heat island mm -hmm. and it's not getting better. They're allowing developers to continue to increase the density. They're increasing development because it's a very touristy, um, construction focused economy. And, and eventually they're going to make it unlivable. Like, I mean, it just will become unlivable, right? So, well. We'll, we'll get to that in 2050 when it's a 
when Phoenix yeah. is dying. <laughs> yeah. When, we'll get there you know. later. Uh, yeah, exactly. What are the implications for the market? Uh, but for this week, so we've had some interesting things happen this week. What's our what's our market update? So a couple of things, really, really important things happened this week. One, the Federal Open Market Committee, or in other, you'll hear FOMC, which is the acronym, um, increased interest rates by a quarter per- percent, or if, if you know industry speak, they say 25 basis points. So they increased the federal funds rate from a range of five and a, to five and a quarter percent to now five and a quarter to five and a half percent. They did that for the reason that, okay, inflation's come a long way in coming down to more reasonable levels, but there are certain parts of the, of, of the, of the national economy that are still just a little too sticky. Um, so that was the first thing. The second thing um, was today, U.S. GDP came out for the second quarter, and it was at 2.4%. That was stronger than what was expected. Uh, quite a bit, actually, and part most of that 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 strength came from consumer spending and business spending. Mm. So that I think is going to give uh, the Federal Reserve some some pause to think about. Maybe we should continue to increase these interest rates um, a little bit more in the future, causing more downside. So obviously today. As that announcement came out, um, the markets were were up, and then they sold off uh, pretty pretty diligently. Actually, after after they decided they were going negative, they they went negative pretty pretty quickly. Um, and then the third thing from the international markets was Japan's central bank, which has pursued a policy of yield curve control, um, is is going is is considering or thinking about allowing their, their, their yield curve to float a little bit more, to allow it to, to, to transition and to, um, and that's kind of a big deal. That's a really big deal since they've had that curve under lock and key for, for quite some time. So um, that increased our yields because now our yields have to compete a little bit more with Japan, Japanese yields, which typically have offered extraordinarily low rates. So not very attractive to U.S.-based investors. Okay, so let's let's get to this uh, real quick because I actually did have um, a client call and ask this question. So Bob and Huntsville, thank you for calling and asking this question because um, we need to know what's going on. And so his literal question was, "What's going on with Japan's interest rates and why?" Did a half a percent increase for Japanese interest rates cause such a big fluctuation? That was his question. Did it, right? Did it cause that big fluctuation in our markets here in the U.S. today? And the second part of that question was, like, that happened overnight and we were affected immediately. So that second part was, are we really that globally connected now? where you know something happens in one of the other bigger countries gdp wise and immediately we're feeling the effects in the us great questions from bob as always um 
I'm going to say, number one, partially was it responsible for the downside? Absolutely. It was one of the key indicators. Um, two, are we glo that globally tied in? Absolutely. Um, and, and really, the globe has always been economically tied in since the days of the first Silk Road, where you had economic turmoil in one area, whether it was a war or, or something, you know, a, a disease, in fact, um, could affect every, every part of that route. As you had traders going on the Silk Road, they carried with them that turmoil and or those pathogens. So we've always been connected since those times. The difference between today and then is the speed of transmission, which today is seconds. It's, it's seconds that we know that the Japanese central bank is going to increase their interest rates and they're going to let their yield, their yield curve float a little more freely. That impacts our markets instantly today. Um, so he's exactly correct that when that happens, the reason that caused some of the downside and, I, and, and it ties into um, also that, that stronger than expected GDP report and the increasing interest rates. So all three of these are very, very related mm -hmm. to what happened today in the markets. So the yield, the Japanese yields, which historically for the past 20 years have been not very attractive if you've hedged the currency, it, it, they just have, they've been really, really low. They've been really, really low. Okay. Been negative for quite a while. Negative to, you know, longer term bonds, very low. Like I think their low is five basis points on their 10 years. So uh, I'll have to check that. So don't, don't take that verbatim, but I'll have to check that number, but it was very, very low for a very long time. Well, now with, with them coming up and Japan being a fairly um, quote unquote safe lender because they fund all of their debt from internally. So their citizens, they save enough money to buy all of the Japanese debt. That's issue. Wow. Well, now if yields start coming up, they become more, more and more attractive, or they could become more and more attractive to buyers, to investors, to central banks, other central banks that up until now have really bought U.S. treasuries. Well, now you go to the U.S. treasury market. Okay. Well, the U.S. treasury market went for the 10 year went from a 3.8% to over 4% in the last couple of weeks. So why? Well, now they have to start competing on a yield basis for those excess dollars. Now, Japan stepped in as an alternative, as a substitute to U.S. Treasuries to a certain extent. So it becomes a it becomes that that calculation that, oh, boy, now we have to compete a little more on yield to gain investors to gain investors. So higher yields. OK, so Japan causes the yield curve in the U.S. to shift up a little bit, offering more attractive yields, what happens? Well, then the U.S. equity markets go, wait a minute, if Japan's growing strongly enough to do that, and our GDP came out stronger than expected based on business and consumer spending, 
maybe the maybe the the interest rates that just were raised this week maybe we're wrong maybe we should have higher interest rates for longer and that could be a real problem for business profitability so they that's that's what happened is now equity investors are like wait a minute we may we may be here for a lot longer than we anticipated maybe we go to 6% on the yield on the on the interest rates for a little longer until we see layoffs coming okay mm-hmm. so that is that is kind of the thought process that created the dynamic today in the market where we we were we were up pretty decently early on and then we sold off in a convincing manner um now also you have in the backdrop we we're on the back of this massive rally that's been up you know we we've run up 20% 25% from the lows of October of 22 so you know a lot of people have made some money they're like maybe i should just take some profits um just to to just to to wait and see um and generally you know going into august and september is the most volatile periods of in the in the in the equity market so it i think you have a lot of factors coming into play at this point so the other thing that you mentioned mm-hmm. when we were talking um before we were recording is this impending kind of weakness in the US market that could be an issue. What do you see um, in that regard? How far out and how long would it be until we maybe see that start playing out? That's a great question. Uh, And I don't know. How's that for a great answer? Um, The timing of it can be anywhere from six months to 24 months. So it's a it's a wide range, which is why I say I don't know, because um, if you if you look at U.S. commercial banks, their loans and leases. OK, that is that's essentially. The fuel one for inflation, but it's also the fuel for economic growth. If you track those, the growth in loans and leases on on U.S. commercial banks, it's it correlates very highly with economic growth. And if you, if it goes down, it also corresponds with, with the money supply going down, meaning we're going to have inflation coming down, if not into deflation, which obviously is a very difficult environment for uh, businesses to maintain their margins and maintain their levels of profits without doing something to, to cut their expenses. Well, Oftentimes for U.S. consumers or U.S. companies, the, the, biggest, the biggest place to save money is on people. So, again, that's forecasting out is, you know, we're, we're having disinflation. The CPI is at 3.1%, a little, little less than 3.1%, um, the headline year over year. A lot of that has to do with the base effect where, you know, we had 9% inflation and that is starting to roll off. So now we're at 3 um, but because our money supply has been declining, okay, so the growth has been negative. So that is the fuel for inflation. If, if that's going negative, inflation will come down. Mm. Okay. But also what comes down with that is economic growth. Okay. And 
And the more that constrains businesses and their future profitability, the more likely we're going to have more layoffs, job openings start to get canceled, and, and that's going to start rolling through the economy. And so somewhere between six and 24 months, we're going to have a pretty, a pretty uh, difficult time having a, a growing GDP if something's not done. What do you mean by if something's not done? Well, the Federal Reserve is at an interesting point where they have inflation for the most part that has decelerated, okay? In some measures, they're, it's within their range. Other measures are slightly above it. Um, but they can't wait for that inflation to get into their range before reversing policy. Because if they do that, those long and lagged effects, those variable effects they've been talking about, they'll miss the boat. They'll actually overshoot or undershoot. They'll go under their target of 2%, okay? Mm. And they might hit deflation at some point if, if they don't course correct before. So if you look at the trend and you look at the things that are decelerating in price, it's really important to understand that if they don't start to ease financial conditions, either through quantitative uh, cooling out the quantitative tightening or by stopping or by just announcing they're, they're not going to raise interest rates any further, then they do risk of overshooting by raising interest rates too high and thereby causing a problem. Okay. You know, putting us into a recession, which right now I think they can, they could probably avoid if they act soon, but if they, in, if they continue to increase interest rates over the next few months, that could, that could uh, end up breaking something, which means economic growth undershoots into a, a recession. We actually experience very low inflation, if not some, some outright deflation. And a lot of people start getting put out of work. And the unemployment rate, which arguably should not be at 35 to 3.7%, it at a normal, in a normal environment, it should be 45 to 5% we'll start to see people hitting that range. Again, terrible for those individuals, but for the overall economy, not a bad place to be. So what I'm hearing is this balance between, like we're right at that precipice of what, you know, we could tip either way. We could either go one more hike into you know higher interest rates and potentially see that overshooting the mark and making it too difficult for businesses to grow um, and bringing inflation down too far. So those are the pieces that I'm hearing go all go together. Or we could say, pause, full pause. We're not gonna raise interest rates anymore and see what the economy does with that information, making sure that we're not going to see a re-acceleration uh, of inflation. Right. And that's, that happens. That re-acceleration, that possible re-acceleration is why the Fed is so nervous because they're worried, you know, if you take the job openings and layoff turn uh, and labor turnover survey, 
or the JOLTS surveys is the acronym. If you take that JOLTS survey and divide that by the number of persons unemployed in the US, that ratio um, right now is at 1.6 down from 1.9, but that's far too strong. Okay, that is far, far too strong. And uh, I was just talking with a client yesterday um, and he made the, he made the, the astute observation that there's a lot of people that are not coming back into the labor force. You know, they, they, they retired early because of COVID and the COVID, the COVID pandemic relief um, efforts. And he said, so with the shrinking labor force in the U.S., how are we going to not have some wage inflation? And he's, he's absolutely correct. Now, one of the, the points, one of the parts that I think he's missing is we have a lot of technology that is going to step in that void and which is actually much less expensive than replacing another person, another employee. Mm -hmm. So inflation and productivity, which hasn't been all that terrific in the last couple of years, will reaccelerate. I think that's one of the reasons that we heard, we've heard a lot about the AI um, development because it's, it's going to be that next step in innovation um, for helping to replace diminishing worker counts. Um, and a lot of people think, well, it's coming from my job. You know what, it, it, it might be, but at first it's coming for the jobs that there's no one there to fill. Hmm. Like there's no one applying for that job because there aren't enough people. So they're going to have AI and robotics step into that void and fulfill that duty, those duties. So it's, it's something that that fear of the reacceleration of inflation that the, that's keeping the fed tighter than they should, they should be. Now I'm of the, uh, I'm of the strong viewpoint that labor um, is, is a, is a lagging indicator. I mean, when you're a business owner, you don't forecast out, you know, many years in advance and then ramp up your business based on what you think is going to happen. You, you don't do that. What you do is you start to see your business grow. Your revenues are growing. And then you're like, oh, wow, I need another I need more resources in this one particular area. Let's say it's operations. Okay, I need another operations person to help fill, fulfill you know, our, our, our operations. Um, that is, that's what you do as a business and you plan for that. You, know, you, you make budgets and all those types of things. So it's a little bit, jobs are, and labor is a little bit of a lagging indicator. Now, the problem also is, is it can be a leading indicator in the sense of spending because the money they earn from their businesses go into their households. Those households don't make, oftentimes don't make those same budgeting decisions. Um, you know, they'll, they'll say, Hey, we want to do this. They'll plan for it and do it. So it can be, it can be a very, very tricky, tricky balancing act, uh, which is what the fed is, is being required to do right now. Well, I think that comment about um, jobs being a lagging indicator, I, I had never thought of it that way. And it's so on point because, I mean, what's the percentage? Is it something like 99% of all businesses in the United States are small businesses? Exactly. Um, 
you know, and a small business is, you know, you could have a hundred employees and still be a small business, right? Correct. So technically that's um, how that goes, especially in a smaller operation. Business owners are so much more, not that big com- corporations aren't thoughtful about hiring too, but when you're a smaller operation, you're very, very thoughtful about hiring most of the time. And so you are also very, very thoughtful about laying people off and they're going to hold out on laying people off for as long as possible. So I can absolutely see like that makes total sense to me working with business owners that you know, you're going to be slow to hire and then you're going to be, unless it's a, you know, like you need to fire someone because it's not working out type thing. You're going to be really slow to fire those employees that you really don't want to let go of. So makes absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, as in juncture, well, strategies, we have 11 employees and um, all of them are great. And we would, I mean, it would take a long time before we had to lay someone off. I mean, it's a terrible decision to have to make, but um, yeah. So, you know, but we plan for that, you know, and so it's something that I think most businesses do that um, to a certain either informally or formally. And so, you know, when you, when you start to have things slow down, you start to see those revenues slow down. That's when you revise those budgets. That's when you revise those plans and you can't, and maybe you cancel a job that you have open, or you start to want to right size your, your labor force. Cause maybe your revenues aren't growing nearly as much as you needed to. I mean, earlier this year, we saw that in, or, late last year, earlier this year in tech, um, mm-hmm. they had overhired for the growth that they had expected during, from the from the pandemic till now. And so they got rid of, you know, a lot of large, large, you know, Meta, Amazon, a lot of those companies got rid of a lot of talent because their revenues weren't coming in nearly as much as possible. And those have actually done the best this year, right? Mm-hmm. Partially because they did lay off a number of those individuals. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't make that connection either. Thank you for uh, sparking all of these aha moments today. It's what I try to do, Hannah. It's what I try to do. <laughs> right? So interesting. Okay, so that is a beautiful place to wrap it up for this week. And I want to, again, say we are here and open for questions um, whatever comes up, we're going to be here every single week going over, you know, what's been going on, what might be coming up and, you know, diving into this also gives us the opportunity to dive into a different education topic every single week as well. So if there's any thing that you've always wondered about or that you wanted to ask, you know, a financial advisor or your financial advisor, and you just never felt comfortable asking for whatever reason, ask, ask us. And we would love to, you know, explain that on these investment Fridays. Um, So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here, Brad. And we'll see you next week. Sounds good. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to like, and subscribe. And again, if anything resonated with you from this episode, I would love to hear from you. Email me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at ExpansiveCEO.com. 
and tell me about it. And if you're ready for your greatest expansion, you can find ways to work with me at expansiveceo.com and at xsquaredwealthplanning.com. That's X, the numeral two, wealthplanning.com. So until next time, remember that there is enough, you are enough, and your birthright in this lifetime is to be expansive.